Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're continuing our Top 10 Prospects podcast series today with the Arizona Diamondbacks. And to do that, we are joined by Nick Picoro of the Arizona Republic. Nick's been the Diamondbacks beat writer for many, many years, fellow Arizona State alum, and has done the DBEX Prospect Handbook chapter for us for a few years now. We're always happy to have Nick join us and contribute his insights and analysis Nick, the Diamondbacks 2020 season did not go according to plan. They had put together three consecutive winning seasons. They made some moves to try and get back to the postseason. And once the playoffs expanded, they seemed like kind of a shoe-in. Instead, a lot of their offseason additions did not perform, namely Madison Bumgarner. Things really fell apart in the middle of the year. They ultimately finished in last place in the NL West. Now we've seen the Padres load up. The Giants have gotten better faster than anyone expected. The Dodgers are the defending world champions. And the D-backs now are kind of in a place where we saw them become sellers at the trade deadline, and they haven't added a whole lot so far this offseason. When you look at where this team is in the major leagues, what they have in the farm system, what's the timeline here to get back to the winning ways we saw from 2017 to 19? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, I think really, if you're, if you're being an optimist, it's just that everything that could have gone wrong, uh, did go wrong to like the, the greatest degree possible in, in a lot of ways last year. So, and I think really like the, the way that they get back to being a competitive club is just to have a lot of the things that they were banking on last year actually kind of come to fruition. And, I mean, it depends on how much weight and how much stock you want to put into a 60-game season. Um, but by and large, it's not that hard to envision a lot of those things, you know, coming back around in their favor. Um, you know, can Cattell Marte get back to being um, a, a more of a, a middle-of-the-order, you know, impact bat compared to the guy he was last year? Can Luke Weaver and Carson Kelly be the sorts of guys they were the year before, can Bumgarner at least be a sort of mid-rotation guy? <clears throat> um, can Eduardo Escobar get back to being a, a productive major leaguer? If those things happen or enough of those things happen, they're really not that far off from, from being a, a team you could look at and say, okay, yeah, I could see 80, 85 wins. And then, you know, you know, if a few other unexpected things go right, I could see them getting into the upper 80s, you know, making the playoffs, that sort of thing. It's just a question of, you know, how, how many of those things that, that went wrong last year were actually uh, indicators for what's going to happen in the future. Is it, is it, is it that Cattell isn't that kind of impact bat that he was in, in 2019? If, if that's the case, I think that that's, that's kind of a, a really big deal and it's really going to uh, really change the fortunes of this club in the, in the short term. Yeah, you mentioned a lot of things going wrong. They had a stretch last year where they went 2-17, and 17, and I remember that stretch in particular just being painful. And they were above 500 before going into that nosedive. They finished the year strong, so maybe it was just one bad stretch that took everything apart in a shortened season. But you're right. A lot of these guys, it's going to come down to the corrections they can make at the major league level, in part because there's not a whole lot coming up from the farm system in terms of guys who will be ready in 2021. This is a good farm system. We just released our top 100. They have five top 100 prospects, but Dalton Varsho, who made his debut last year, is the only one of them to play above the Class A level. So it does seem like there is a farm system here that can buttress them and get them back to competitiveness in a few years. 
it is going to come down to, as you said, the players who are in the majors right now performing better than they did in 2020. Yeah. I mean, I think that maybe if you, if you wanted to look at a few guys that could, that could come up and make an impact, it's probably, I mean, you mentioned Varsho, uh, Pavin Smith as another, uh, you know, he only got a a very brief look. Um, But then the other guys that are going to, you know, that you could kind of forecast as being like big pieces potentially are probably bullpen guys. Um, You know, if, if JB Bukoskis or, John Duplantier um, <clears throat> end up going into the bullpen. If uh, Levi Kelly ends up being asked to pitch in relief, um, those are the guys that you could see coming up. But it's probably not the kind of guys that are going to be like, you know, three to five win players that are going to immediately, you know, kind of make you make you kind of change your evaluation of the, of the club in a, in a big way. Diving into this farm system, because again, there is promise here. There's a lot of potential here. Last year, Nick, Corbin Carroll ranked fifth in the system behind Dalton Varsho, Geraldo Podomo, Christian Robinson, and Alec Thomas. This year, he vaulted over all four of them to number one in a year when no minor league games were played. What happened for Corbin Carroll to make this jump? Yeah, I mean, it was just kind of a, a universal um, opinion from everybody that was involved in um, the, the club's alt site uh, games and, uh, you know, that camp overall and uh, everything that people saw at Instructional League. It, it just kind of felt like he um, he really opened a lot of eyes. I mean, some of those guys in the organization, you know, executives or, um, or coaches uh, in, in the minor league side on player development – weren't as familiar with him, um, you know, coming out of the year before they all got a sense for, for what he's like as a player and just the, the kind of impact that he can have. Um, it was just a, a maturity about his game, um, kind of a, you know, an ability to make adjustments quickly. Um, just kind of a, a well-roundedness too, you know, a, a really good defender in the outfield, a really instinctual player, a uh, really good base runner, um, you know, just a, a guy who just showed that like he's he's really good, and and uh, I think that for you know a lot of people it was a surprise just how how young he was and how well he played, particularly at the alt site against competition that was a lot older than him. Yeah, you mentioned in your write up that Amel Sadier, who now oversees amateur scouting for the D-backs, in his previous role with the Red Sox draft a lot of undersized outfield types, most notably Mookie Betts, also Andrew Benintendi and Jackie Bradley Jr. So there is a long history of undersized outfield types developed or drafted, I should say, under Sade, becoming really impactful major leaguers. What kind of player are we looking at with Corbin Carroll? I thought it was interesting yesterday in our Top 100 Prospects chat. I think he's the prospect who got the most questions asked about him. A lot of people are curious, what level of impact are we talking about here? Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on on uh, just how just how bullish you are on him. Um, I, I've I've kind of thrown out the name Adam Eaton a few times to people just because he's a, he's a person that I'm familiar with as you know ha- having seen the way that he developed in the Diamondbacks system. <clears throat> and uh, the people that like him say, yeah, that's not bad, but we think he's a lot better than that. We and and that's that's saying a lot considering how good Adam Eaton was certainly before. Uh, having some injury issues. Um, I've heard Johnny Damon as a, as a comp thrown out there. Um, so, I mean, it's a guy that that's probably going to be a top of the order 
bat that you know people see as a as a 300 hitter or better um and as a guy who they think can grow into 20 plus home runs um i don't know necessarily that the kind of the slug is going to come in home runs early on in his career um that's at least the sense that i get from talking to people that that saw him a lot over the summer they think it's it's going to be a lot of like you know balls in the corners balls in the gaps uh taking extra bases turning a uh, kind of a routine base hit to, to ride into a, a double, those sorts of things. Um, but uh, they do think that over time, um, and that's kind of maybe where the, the Damon comparison is most apt, um, they think he can grow into that kind of power. Given the strides he made at the alternate site and some of the things you talked about, were there any other players really in consideration for number one, or did he really separate himself and become the clear-cut guy at the top this year? Yeah, I, th- I think he separated himself. It's, I mean, it was a tough, it was a tough one. I'm sure it was difficult. Um, I'm sure you're, you're hearing this and I'm sure you experienced it yourself doing these lists, uh, trying to figure out how much to weigh everything this year. Um, Christian Robinson had, um, had a rough go. It sounded like for a lot of the summer. Um, and I know he wasn't at the outside the entire time. Um, but, uh, you know, you'd hear stories of like, there was one, I think I maybe included this in Robinson's bio uh, this year. Um, there was a, a game where he hit three straight balls into the pool area at, at Chase Field in a, in an alt site game. Um, and yeah, the, the alt site guys did play at Chase Field when the team was on the road. Just they were the only team, I guess, in baseball that was playing home games like that. Um, and uh, then you'd hear that there were there were days that would go by like multiple days at a time, I heard somebody say like you go a week and I, that kind of struck me as an exaggeration where Robinson wasn't even putting a ball in play. He was, he was striking out so often. So I think a lot of people kind of became a little concerned about just how volatile um, the possible outcomes are with Robinson. Um, And then the other thing is, I mean, you compare him and, and Corbin Carroll, they're, they're not far off in age and Corbin Carroll seems to be, so far ahead of him uh, developmentally. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the reason that Carroll was was back a little bit on the list the year before was was really just a matter of track record um, compared to the others. Uh, and then when you kind of got to see him compared to the others in the same environment um, that they were all there, you know, at those at those places last summer, it was kind of easier to to justify uh, running him up over the others. Um, Varsho, I, I, I really don't want to like make it seem like I'm, I'm down on him because, you know, you look at his numbers from what he did in the big leagues and it'd be easy to be like, okay, that, that was, that was a really ugly debut. Yeah. I mean, he, he, if you, if you kind of break down the game log, I mean, look at the first month, it was brutal. And then after that, it was pretty decent. Um, I mean, I, I don't think it was great. I, th- I think it was an 800 plus OPS. It's not like he, he lit the world on fire. I mean, that, but that's pretty good. Um, and I, I think that he, he's a guy that if you look back over his career, I, I think he's always kind of been a little bit of a slow starter anyway. He was getting inconsistent at bats. He was bouncing between positions. I can make excuses for him, you know? Uh, I, I still think a lot of the things that made Varsho the number one, all the things that made Varsho the number one prospect the year before still apply right now. It's just that, um, it's just that Carroll uh, was so good. Uh, it's hard to ignore. Yeah. Varsho, as you mentioned over those final 19 games had an OPS of 822, 
the on-base was good. The slug was good. The average was still a little low, but on the whole, we did see some promise there. There's no question he began to turn around a little bit as he got more comfortable. It's interesting what you mentioned about Christian Robinson because I've noticed something very interesting in making calls on him uh, this year, just especially what happened in instructional league. When speaking to front offices, pro scouting directors, pro scouting coordinators, assistant GMs who look at the models, look at the age, and look at some of the analytics, they're all really, really high on Christian Robinson. Talking to the people who are watching him on the ground, on the field, there's a lot more concern. And you mentioned some of the concerns that came up based on your discussions from what happened at the alternate site. I spoke to some people who saw him at Instructional League. And just to be frank, the reviews were very, very, very rough. But at the same time, you talk about it's a weird year. You don't know what these guys' workout settings were. He's a very young kid, doesn't come from a country with a ton of baseball infrastructure. It's hard to wait how much of it is just a product of a weird year versus everything else. But I also understand that given that on-the-ground concern, it makes sense to have him behind some of these other guys, even in the context of if you look at it strictly from a model perspective of age, size, tools, things look better. Yeah, um, I, I think you, you kind of hit on a lot of the things that I, I would have said. Um, I, I think, uh, look, and I, I said this in a, in a chat on the, on the BA site last week, whenever that was. Um, it's not that I don't think there's any chance that Christian Robinson turns into a stud. I, I think there is. It's just that I think there's a better chance that these other guys do. And that's just kind of how we try to do these lists sometimes. Um, it's, it's certainly a, a, a balance of, of, you know, kind of reasonable outcomes versus, you know, ceiling and all that. And, and it, it's more, it's more art than science. I'm sure you would agree. Um, but I, it's just, it just felt like the time to kind of, to kind of be a little bit more conservative on him. Um, and yeah, look, you mentioned, you know, comes from the Bahamas, probably hasn't faced that level of pitching. Uh, probably, I mean, just the, the sheer amount of the bats against good arms in his life versus Corbin Carroll's, it's probably much, much different, right? Um, I, I also think that, I mean, right before the, the um, virus hit and everything got shut down in spring training, I was talking to him about his diet and how he – uh, had I think he came into spring training having lost 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 15 20 pounds or something like that um he had he had been reading uh I think he was reading like a, a Tom Brady book about you know what to eat he was reading about like what Michael Jordan ate he was like like really into dietary stuff he's like that's just the kind of guy that he is he's just constantly finding trying to find little ways that he can get better um, he's a really studious kid, um, has, is really driven to be, to be great. I mean, he has this understanding of like, it doesn't really matter how much I struggle. He said this to me before, like, I don't care if I struggle in the minor leagues. I, I want to make sure that when I get to the big leagues, I know how to handle that. Like if I have to make this adjustment and it, it winds up looking kind of ugly for a little while, so be it. Like I, I'm focused on being a great major leaguer and I'm glad that I have all this information and all these things at my, uh, you know, at, at my disposal uh to make that happen um so i mean from a, of a makeup perspective and then you know just kind of the background issues there's there's reasons to to really think that that it can it can and will happen for him um but just kind of to repeat like i just i just feel uh, you know looking at where varsho is in his career looking at where carol is at the same age looking at the fact that alec thomas 
um, you know, has, has tasted high A and, and, you know, more or less held his own. Um, Perdomo uh, played even better than that in high A. Uh, it's just easier to, to see and, and the, the positional difference with some of those guys. It's just easier to kind of see a path toward impact big leaguer um, and fewer opportunities to where they, they you know, where they stumble than, than for Robinson at the moment. Yeah, I think Christian Robinson's honestly probably one of the guys that I'm going to be most interested to watch in 2021. If he comes up to Visalia, which is now low A, uh, just seeing what he looks like, how he's performing, because there's no question, there's a tremendous ceiling there. You talk about the makeup and just given how odd the 2020 season was and how much it threw off so many guys, I, I feel like he's the guy that I'm going to be most interested to see, okay, where is he really? Because there is that, I don't want to say divisiveness, but we talked about at the top level, front offices, they still like him. The people on the ground are much more skeptical. So just kind of finding out, okay, which one's the real him is going to be one of the more interesting subplots to me, at least of the Diamondbacks season on the minor league side. Nick, I want to dive into this farm system a little deeper. Uh, but first, a quick word from our sponsors. And we're back with Nick Picoro breaking down the Diamondback system. Nick, we talked about the top five prospects in the system. They're all top 100 guys, really talented group. You move in and it's definitely a tier lower, but there's still some upside here. One of the more interesting things that you had in your rankings was Slade Ciccone, their supplemental first round pick, left Bryce Jarvis, their first round pick this year for the title of top pitching prospect in the system. What changed during the alternate side or instructional league to put Ciccone ahead of Jarvis, given that Jarvis was just the higher pick? It seemed like, uh, Jar- well, Jarvis definitely struggled at, at the alt side and is, in, in, is I, I think, maybe in one outing in instructional league. Um, I think he was prone to give up some home runs. Uh, so, I mean, that that lack of, of success right away um, kind of opened the door for Ciccone, I think, to come in and just dominate. I think, you know, he just kind of blew the barn doors off for everybody. Um, he had been a guy – from what I understand had always had pretty good stuff, but hadn't really been able to, to kind of harness it to the degree that people expected um, in college or, or maybe even going back to high school. Um, and he really put it together. Um, he, uh, and, and look, there's all sorts of caveats with, with his performance um, and with the performance of a lot of the pitchers at uh, instructional league this year. Uh, and that, they weren't throwing five, six innings. Um, they weren't doing that every fifth day. Um, they were, um, you know, they were capped at two, three innings. Uh, it was, you know, it was just a lot more of a, a limited look. Um, but he pumped strikes. He, uh, dominated with three, sometimes four pitches. Um, you know, he just, he just looked, he looked awesome. I mean, I, I had a scout with another club tell me that, that uh, they, they thought he might be actually, no, I, I think this was a person in the deep front office who said he thinks that there's that Chaconi is, is their best prospect. Um, so that's, that's saying something. Um, they, 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 there seems to be a, a belief that he might be the best pitching prospect that this group has had in the, in the four years that four or five years that Mike Hazen has, has been in the organization. So um, we'll see, uh, you know, again, like he, he's going to have to stay healthy. He's going to have to do it every five days. He's going to have to pitch into the fifth, sixth innings uh, consistently. Um, but, you know, he's a college guy with now stuff. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a reason to believe that if it, if it clicks, uh, he, could, he could come fast. 
Yeah, seeing that initially was certainly eye-opening, but then like you said, the reports were pretty eye-popping. So if the Diamondbacks get one of these two guys to be an impact starter and it's Chaconi over Jarvis, that's still a win. If you have two good pitchers and only one becomes a rotation stalwart, that's a win. Nick, how many of these other guys, as we wrap up the back of the top 10, were surefire in there? How many guys were kind of in flux? What would you say is kind of the demarcation point between the clear top 10 guys and the guys who are more on the cusp? It felt like kind of once you got past Walston at at eight, um, it was kind of up for debate how the last few spots would play out. I think we settled on Corbin Martin and Paven Smith being down there at the bottom. Um, you know, there were other candidates uh, and two arms come to mind that, that were, that were very tempting for me, uh, Connor Granis and Levi Kelly, um, Grana, and both of those guys have kind of similar questions in, in terms of, you know, it's, it's unclear if their futures are in the rotation or the bullpen. Um, it's a little different though, I guess, with, with Levi in that Kelly could be the kind of guy that, um, his, his slider could be such a good pitch and such a dominant pitch uh, that he might be able to survive as like a, you know, 2.5 pitch pitcher, right? Um, a guy that throws fastballs and sliders uh, 98% of the time and then throws a, you know, a changeup twice a, a game, you know, kind of like what A.J. Burnett used to do at times, right? Um, if, if, he, if, if it doesn't end up working out in the rotation, there are little, there's a little doubt in people's minds that he could be a, a really good reliever. Um, Grammis is a little bit different. Um, he's probably a, a little bit easier to dream on uh, because of the backstory. And that's just that he, sim- similar to some other guys that the Dimebacks drafted in 2019, um, namely Ryan Nelson and Dre Jameson. Um, Grammis is a, uh, a former college position player, or at least two-way guy, who hadn't really focused on pitching his, his whole life. Um, so I think that, you know, the athleticism that he had and the fact that he was relatively new to the, to, to pitching and not, not that he hadn't done it before, but he hadn't focused his entire energies on it gave the Diamondbacks some hope that, that there could be a guy that, that could, you know, really take some big strides. Um, all three of those guys that I named took very big strides. Um, it's kind of seemed like it depended on who you talk to, uh, some people thought that Nelson was about as, as impressive as, as Grammis, but it seemed like most people had Grammis um, ahead of, ahead of them. Um, I mean, it's, it's 97 to 100. Uh, but again, it's, it's limited looks. It's short bursts. He, he hasn't done it uh, over a long period of time. Um, but I mean, you know, whenever you're talking about the kind of late blooming college arm, you know, Jake DeGrom's name comes up. It always does now uh given his his success and and his his path you know his trajectory so i mean there's there's some hope that like you know given how quickly and how um dramatically grammis and those guys have improved in their you know year plus as professionals focusing on pitching um there's some hope that that you know the they're not really even approaching their ceilings yet that there's still a lot more um ability to do that um it's interesting. I, I think that's a, that's an interesting topic. Uh, just the, you know, how, how, what the Dimebacks were betting on there. Um, and I've, I've talked about that with some people in the front office and, you know, I, th- I think one of the things that strike that, that stuck out to me, I guess, is that it's not like they were just saying like, 
you know, you hear this all the time. It's like, oh, if we get this guy in our system and we do this with him, like we can get him back on track. Like they weren't necessarily betting on that. You know, it was, I, I talked to somebody who was saying like, look, it, you know, we don't have that hubris of like, you know, we think we can fix him. It was like, hey, look, this guy's a great athlete. He hasn't focused on pitching yet. Let's see what happens. Let's see if we can, you know, get him to be even better than he is. Like there's the makings are there with all three of those guys that they drafted in 2019 of, of dominant power stuff, you know, 95 plus for all three um, bad command, bad control. But, you know, these, these guys were, were college position players, great athletes. Let's, let's see what happens. Um, again, I don't know what to make of it because it's it was such a weird year and it's just instructional league and all that. Um, but the early returns are, are really encouraging. So um, those are, those are some names, I guess, that, that come to mind uh, that, that stood out and, and made me uh, kind of, kind of kind of made the the ranking process uh even more difficult for me than it, than, it, than it already normally is yeah the two-way college player that they're converting to the mound full-time and hoping the stuff jumps we're seeing a lot of organizations really add those guys the diamondbacks being at the forefront of them jacob Degrom obviously is the 100 percent outcome that every team dreams on uh, but even recently i've noticed since tony gonsolin did it in the dodger system he was a senior sign 2016 i'm starting to see really in the last three, four years, especially following him, more and more teams doing it. They're giving it a shot. And like you said, betting on the athleticism, betting on, hey, if this guy's throwing 92-94 while splitting his time between the mound and being a position player, what happens if he just focuses on the mound? And a lot of times those guys' stuff ticks up in a big way. Nick, I think it's an interesting way to wrap up because you list all these pitching prospects the Diamondbacks have. And Generally speaking, homegrown pitching has not been the organization's strength. You look at the rotation right now, Gallon was acquired in a trade, Weaver acquired in a trade, Bumgarner signed as a free agent, Merrill Kelly signed out of Asia, Robbie Ray acquired as a prospect in a trade. He's obviously gone to Toronto now, but he was one of the more recent successes. Patrick Corbin, again, acquired in a trade as a prospect. So in terms of guys they've drafted themselves and developed themselves, it hasn't been a strength of the D-backs. Archie Bradley became a really good closer, but in terms of starters, it's not something they've done totally successfully in recent years. And it feels like now there is a group of pitching prospects that potentially could end that mini drought. You're right. Um, it's it's not easy to do, right, to develop pitching, but you're, you're right. I mean, I guess probably their most successful uh, – draft and develop guys that reached the majors for them had their best success elsewhere. Um, most recently, I guess the guys I, I'm thinking of are, are uh, Trevor Bauer. Um, and before that, Max Scherzer. Um, yeah. And then Wade Miley, I guess is probably the only other guy that comes to mind as a guy that kind of established himself as a starter that came out of the system. Um, I, I, I've talked about uh, just the way that the the system is kind of trending with some people in the front office. And it does kind of feel like, we're going to be looking up in a, in a year or so, and maybe it's, it's going to go from being a system that looks like it's got all these great position players to a system that might be more pitching rich um, than, than, than you, you would think at least from just kind of a quick glance at the, at least the top five in the system. Right. Um, If some of those guys start advancing to the big leagues and and are no longer uh, eligible for the list, um, and then you've got some of these other arms that are coming up. We didn't mention Blake Walson, maybe briefly, um, but that's another guy that, like, you know, uh, I, 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 I think, I think there's just so many guys that you can look at and say uh, were really hurt by the lack of a season. He's a, he's one of those guys that that I feel like was probably the case. Um, 
just not being able to kind of get into the flow of a, of a, of a game the you know, kind of get the competitive juices going, um, kind of experience that sort of thing. Um, I, I heard people talk about that, like with him, like a former, you know, high school football quarterback, a kind of guy that needs that competition and kind of thrives on it. Didn't really have the opportunity to, to grow in that regard. Um, but yeah, anyway, I, I, I do, I, I think you're, you're right that it's, uh, it's been a weakness for them and it, and it could turn around pretty quickly. Um, we'll see. I mean, it's, it's pitching though, man. I mean, they're a, a couple of injuries away from us, you know, saying the opposite. Um, and uh, it, it's, it seems to be the hardest thing to forecast. The one thing they do seem to have going for them is they've got for a change, a lot of power arm uh, starting pitchers, um, or at least, guys that look like they have a chance to stick as starting pitchers. Um, in the years that I've been doing this list, there just haven't been very many of them. Um, you know, Luis Frias was one of the few guys and he's still on the list. Um, but he was one of the few guys the last couple of years that kind of checked off those, those power boxes, which kind of alarming. I mean, at a time when the, the rest of the industry uh, has, has power arms um, in abundance. The, the Diamondbacks were really light on them, um, but they're kind of catching up. And, uh, you know, you hope that if you have five of them, that, that one of them winds up being a, a legitimate big league starter. And, and you're, you're probably, as, as sad as that sounds, you're probably content with that kind of outcome. Well, absolutely. That's the old rule. You need five to get one to the big leagues. So the Diamondbacks certainly have collected a really interesting group of them. And look, you have a really good position player group up top some really interesting arms right below them who you can see jumping and that's all you can ask for. Again, this is a good farm system. There's some talented players here. I and mean, now it's just a matter of getting these guys back on the field and accelerating their development and hopefully getting them up to Arizona as soon as possible. Nick, any final thoughts on this team, this organization, the system as a whole? I don't know. I feel like that's about it. I mean, we didn't mention Corbin Martin much. I think that's another guy that maybe I could have, I could have mentioned earlier on as a, as a guy who could have a, a big league impact this year. Um, I'm not sure that there's a spot for him in the rotation at the moment. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I'm sure they'll tell us that, that uh, he's going to come to camp competing for a job. Um, I would, I would guess that he starts off as depth. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think it's an interesting organization, uh, an interesting farm system. I think it kind of seems to get um, better and better each year. And uh, I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm curious to see how many of these guys really turn into the sorts of, of prospects you can, you can build an organization around. Um, if, if Christian Robinson uh, winds up being a miss, you know, uh, who are the guys on that list that you can say is, is the guy that, that, you know, is a real anchor for a club. Um, that's what they're hoping Corbin Carroll is. I think you talk to more and more people, um, around the game around the league that that scout them they're not sure that Alec Thomas or Varsho or Perdomo or or these other guys are are really those kinds of players they're more like nice big leaguers you know maybe an all-star season here and there um so but look I mean we didn't think that about Cattell Marte he had a huge year nobody thought that about Paul Goldschmidt you know on and on and on AJ Pollock turned out to be a a far more impactful player than people would have thought it's not just a, a Diamondbacks thing. That's the case players across the game. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, which, if any of these guys kind of develop into that kind of player. Um, Cause if you look at it and you look at the big league team right now, it's pretty clear. They, they need those kinds of guys uh, going forward. They don't really have um, 
you know, depending on what you think Cattell is, they, they don't really have uh, those guys that they can kind of bank on and, and just know that, okay, there's our, there's our five win player. We're, we're going to get that out of him year, year in and year out. Yeah, certainly. We'll see if any of these guys are able to become that. I know Corbin Carroll, there's a lot of excitement about him. Personally, I am all in on Geraldo Perdomo. I think that's a really good everyday shortstop who has a chance to exceed some expectations. But you're right. It's about having multiple guys exceed expectations. And we talked about the pitching side. I did go back and look it up. The last homegrown starting pitcher they had take regular turns for them in the rotation was Chase Anderson, and that was back in 2015. So it's been a while, but if they can get some of these starting pitchers up, that will certainly help. Another player, by the way, who had more success elsewhere than he than he had here. Yeah, and that's a big part of it, keeping your guys and getting the most from them while you have them as opposed to after you trade them away. So we'll see how it all shakes out. But again, there's talent in the majors, despite how poorly everything went in 2020. There's talent in the farm system, and at the end of the day, that's all you can ask for. They're in a decent position. Now it's just about getting that talent to the majors and the guys who are there, getting the most from them. Nick, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your insight as always. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Nick Picoro, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. 